0: Well, Good morning. It is great to see you. Thanks so much for being here uh, inside and those that are outside streaming and those that are at home. We're so glad uh, to be here. It's a, a joy and a privilege to be for the first time in this space. I know it's a little anticlimactic in the midst of uh, COVID, but God has been so generous and, uh, and kind to lead our church into the space for uh, for a 15 year lease is what we've got here. So we, we're here for a long time. So we're grateful for it. If you're new uh, to Christ Central, we would love to connect with you. Please let us know who you are, uh, and we would enjoy getting to know you. We have been in a series, if uh, you are new, uh, for a number of weeks titled Answering Jesus. Uh, Jesus loved to ask questions. Jesus asked hundreds of questions. And the questions that Jesus asked, uh, and he still is asking today, are vehicles of intimacy. They are invitations into relationships. And so I hope you've seen in this series that Jesus longs to be in relationship with us. He invites us to be honest about where we are. He wants to meet us where we are, and he's gentle and loving in doing so. We're going to wrap up this series next week, and then we're going to enter into Advent as a church, the season of Advent, and we'll begin an Advent series titled, Come, Lord Jesus. We're going to finish this series by looking at a number of post-resurrection stories in the Gospels. And last week we looked at Luke 24, and this week we're going to look at Luke 24 as well. We're going to look at the very end of Luke's Gospel, uh, and we're going to hear Jesus ask this question, the resurrected Jesus ask this question, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? So if you will stand, and I'm going to read God's word to us. This is our custom to give attention to God's word. Luke 24:36 to 53. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "'Peace to you.' But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, "'Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see.' For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet and why they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and we're continually in the temple blessing God. The prophet Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we we ask right now that you would speak into our minds, penetrate our hearts, so that we would hear your voice. Hearing your voice, we might follow. Encountering you, we might be transformed. And so I do pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come and speak to our spirits, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Speak, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. You can be seated. A few years ago, uh, I had... We had a congregational meeting with our church with a good portion of our body here. And I told them that for months I had been struggling in this season that I said was a crisis of faith. I found myself for the first time as a pastor of this church asking myself, do I really believe what I'm preaching? Do I really believe that this gospel of Jesus Christ is true? I was wrestling with questions like, what's really happening here at Christ Central Church. Is this really a movement of God or is this just a, a social experiment? the season lasted for a number of months. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I would venture to say that you've struggled with doubts about the Christian faith at some point. Uh, when I was doing campus ministry at UNC Chapel Hill, many of my students would take religion classes from Dr. Bart Ehrman. And for many of my students, it was the first time for them to hear intellectual arguments uh, attempting to deconstruct their Christian faith. And many of them would enter into this crisis of faith. Perhaps you've had this season of intellectual questioning, but doubt doesn't always come from intellectual arguments questioning questioning. It, it can also come existentially. Circumstances in your life can cause one to doubt. The experience of death, of divorce, of betrayal, abuse, illness, job loss, a global pandemic. Horrific things cause existential crisis and can produce profound questions about God. The good thing about God is that he welcomes our doubt. Actually, doubt can be a good thing if we allow Jesus to meet us in our doubt. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God writes this, he says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. Now hear me, doubt is never the final destination. But as one wrestles with doubt and Jesus meets us in our doubt, our faith becomes our own and we're strengthened in our faith. And so this morning, I want us to look at how Jesus meets us in our doubt from the end of Luke 24. And we're gonna see three things. We're gonna see that Jesus gives room for doubt. Jesus comforts us in our doubt. And then lastly, having met us in our doubt, Jesus sends us out. Now, can you imagine this scene that I just read? The disciples have just experienced the most extraordinary day in human history. The day began at the first light of dawn, and a small group of women went to the tomb with spices for Jesus's burial. As they got to the tomb, they saw angels who announced the good news that Jesus had risen. So they run back to tell the disciples, and the the disciples start running back and forth to the tomb, checking it out, wondering, is this true? And soon people start spreading the news. He has risen. And this good news was hard to believe for those who had not seen Jesus. The disciples had not yet seen Jesus, and they're gathered here in Luke 24. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands among them and says, peace to you. That's not your normal hello. (laughs) It's not your everyday greeting. This is the resurrected Jesus proclaiming the most deep and comfortable truth. Peace to you. But for them at this moment, it is like a ghost appears and shouts, boo. Because they are startled, the text tells us. And then Jesus asks them the question, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? The first thing we see is that Jesus gives room for doubt. Jesus does not condemn them for their doubting. He's patient with them and understanding that what is happening is hard to comprehend. So Jesus says, see my hands and my feet, and they continue to freak out. What is happening? Jesus says, touch me. It's really me. They still doubt. So Jesus says, go get some food. And he eats it to demonstrate that they're not having a hallucination. He's not a ghost. Now, as much as some people might think that it was easier for pre-scientific first century Jew or Gentile to believe in the resurrection than for us modern people, that's not the case. They were terrified, skeptical. This was not their expectation. The resurrection was just as earth shattering and hard to believe for them as it is for many today. Jesus gives room for doubt gives room for your doubt. He understands how mind-blowing the gospel of of Jesus Christ really is. His patience and kindness of Jesus to give us space and room for doubt, it hopefully propels us to be a church that gives space for one another's doubts. Please hear me. If you've been around for a long time or if you're newer to Christ Central, we desire to be a church that welcomes the doubter and the skeptical. You don't need to pretend in order to belong here. We want you to be honest, and we trust in the Savior who is patient and kind towards us in our doubt. In our passage, we see Jesus giving room for doubt and then addressing doubt by giving the disciples evidence of his resurrection. He says, See, touch, watch me eat some food. And Luke, the gospel writer, is going out of his way to give us as readers evidence of Jesus' resurrection. It is clear from Luke 24 that this account is an eyewitness account. Luke was there when this happened. If, as some suggest, the early church made this story of the resurrection up, then there are a lot of details in this account that would have been left out. The first thing being that the women were the first eyewitness or the first witnesses of the empty tomb. Women were held in such a low status in society that they're testimony in court wasn't even valid. So if you're making this up, if this is a hoax, why would you have women find the empty tomb first? Because it happened. Jesus eats this meal with the disciples. He eats this broiled fish. And if you're making this story up for some ulterior agenda, why add this very mundane rather dull picture of Jesus eating a meal? Because it happened. And then the risen Jesus would change these fearful disciples into courageous disciples who would die for the mission of God. Why would they die for the mission of God? Because the resurrection happened. Here's what I'm saying. Faith in Jesus, the one who died and rose from the dead, is founded on evidence and is rooted in historical fact. The message of Christianity is good news about something that happened in history. It's not good advice. It's not faith in a system of ethics. It's not just a moral system for us to live by. It is good news about a real historical event. Jesus Christ crucified three days later, risen from the dead. Jesus makes room for our doubt and is gracious to give us evidence of why we can believe. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus comforts us in our doubt. Jesus is extremely gentle. He's always gentle, but he's gentle in this passage with his disciples. And one interesting to me, interesting, interesting thing to me about the post-resurrection stories of Jesus and the four gospels we have in our New Testament is that the majority of them are stories of Jesus appearing to his friends and to his disciples. There were 50 days between Easter Sunday and Jesus ascending to heaven. During those 50 days, Jesus spends his time comforting his disciples, encouraging his disciples, coming alongside his friends. I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus and I had 50 days to let everybody know that I resurrected from the dead, I probably wouldn't spend all 50 days with my close friends and my, and my disciples. Surely I would make my way to Rome Now, I'd stand before Pilate and Herod. I'd go to Jerusalem. I'd stand before the Sanhedrin, anybody in power. And I would make sure that everybody knew that I was the victor over death and the grave. But Jesus's main concern is showing up to his demoralized friends to comfort them. And the way that he does that in our passage is that he has a Bible study with them. I've always thought how amazing it would be to have been present for this moment or earlier in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus as Jesus explains how all of the scriptures point to himself and are fulfilled in him. Jesus is explaining the resurrected. Jesus is explaining how this resurrection is the climax of the story that God has been authoring for all of humanity from the beginning of time. This resurrection isn't just a happy ending for one person. It is the turning point for everything else. It is at this point that Jesus explains to his disciples all of the old promises come true at last. The promises of David's unshakable kingdom, the promises of Israel's return from exile, and behind all of that, the promise to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through Israel. The scriptures tell the good news about Jesus Christ. The scriptures proclaim that what saves you is not the strength of your faith, but the strength of Jesus's faithfulness. It is in Jesus that all of the promises of God are yes and amen. The Comfort that we receive from Jesus and the scriptures is the constant reminder that Jesus is faithful. That though we might stumble and falter, though we have crises of faith, and we might wonder, God, what are you doing? God, are you even true? Jesus keeps showing up. And he continues to comfort us. And the scriptures always point us to him, the faithful one. James Torrance, Scottish theologian, he was teaching on the West Coast one time, and he saw an older man walking alone on the beach and. They struck up a conversation. They started talking to each other. And this man confided in Torrance that his wife of 50 years was dying and that he wasn't sure how he was going to face the future. He said that he no longer had faith in God, that he had left the church, he couldn't pray anymore. He didn't know what to do. And so he asked Torrance, what do I do? Torrance didn't encourage this man to have more faith. He told him this. He said, When you're trying to pray, remember Jesus prays for you. When you're trying to hold on, remember Jesus holds on to you. And when you're trying to care, remember Jesus cares for you. Neither doubt nor fear can separate you from his love. Look to him, look not to you. And this counsel changed the man's life, and it will change yours too. I love verse 41. I don't think I've ever kind of sat in verse 41 until preparing for this sermon. Uh, Verse 41 says, they, the disciples disbelieved for joy. Took me a little bit to to sit on disbelief for joy. What does that mean? It says they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. The disciples' response is like, this can't be, can it? Can this really be? They disbelieved for joy. It's a way of saying the disciples were confused because this seemed too good to be true this was too good to be true this is a strange year 2020 is maybe you found yourself this year getting clarity around faith in Jesus and if so that is a gift from God that you should rejoice in but perhaps it's been a hard dry season spiritually a season full of questions Jesus wants to bring comfort by pointing us to his faithfulness. He is the resurrected Christ and his kingdom is certain. That's good news. And it is true. After comforting us in our doubt, we finally see that Jesus sends us out to the very end of this passage. Now, despite a, a thousand hymns that maybe we've sung, or a million sermons we've maybe heard about the resurrection giving us comfort that when we die, we're gonna float off to heaven. The resurrection narratives in the gospels never say anything like Jesus is raised from the dead, therefore there's life after death. We go to heaven when we die. The resurrection of Jesus has a very, this worldly present age meaning, that in Christ Jesus, a new world order has ensued. And therefore, we who follow this king have a job to do. We are to be witnesses. And the first thing we see about being a witness is that we're sent out with power. Look at verse 49. It says, stay in the city until you're clothed with power. It's Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit that would come upon the disciples two weeks later, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Matthew's gospel, at the very end of chapter 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now catch this, the, the text doesn't say, and the disciples never doubt it again. It does say that they're clothed with power by the Holy Spirit. That God's plan to change this world is to comfort and empower weak doubting, struggling disciples by pointing them to the faithful one and then clothing them in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure about you, but again, if I were Jesus, I'm not sure my plan A to change the world would be a bunch of doubting, troubled, skeptical, questioning, failing disciples. But this is exactly God's plan. This is not plan B. This is God's plan A to use us to be his witnesses to this world. To witness means to point to something. As Jesus is witness in this world, we point to him and to his kingdom. And we never point to ourselves and how great we are. In fact, when that happens, and it has and it does, it never works out well. I've been arrogant too many times and have known too many arrogant Christians who knowingly or unknowingly have pointed to themselves and end up doing much more harm than good. Our lives are to point to Jesus and to His kingdom. This kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven, and how do we do that? Clothed in power, filled with the Holy Spirit, each of us steps into each new day, praying that God's new world order brought about by the resurrection of Christ would break into this present world through our words and our deeds. Our words and our deeds are to point to Jesus and his kingdom. Theologian N.T. writes, he calls this pointing erecting signposts. Signposts are things like loving others, doing justice, walking humbly, extending forgiveness, acting patiently, feeding the poor, empowering the weak, celebrating with joy, anything and everything that points to what is true of Christ and true of his kingdom being done in all places and spaces. This is our great commission sent out in his power to witness to faithful Jesus and his eternal kingdom. Listen, I I know this year has been hard. The number of COVID cases are increasing. Restrictions are ratcheting back up. There's hope of a vaccine. And our life is definitely different than any of us imagined it would be at this point. Maybe you have found yourself in a crisis of faith. If you haven't, you might at some point. If you're in this place or if you find yourself in this place, hear me. It is okay. It is okay. The resurrected Jesus gives room for doubts and questions. And Jesus is gentle and he wants to comfort you in your doubts. And when you find yourself in that place, open the Bible. Open the Bible and let him point you to his faithfulness. And as Jesus meets you there, he sends you out even in a hard season, I would say, especially in a hard season, he sends us out to live as witnesses pointing to Christ and to his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would would comfort us. You would give us assurance in your faithfulness. You would give us assurance because of what, what has happened is true and rooted in historical evidence and And that you would, Holy Spirit, comfort us in our weakness and our doubting and empower us even when we are weak to point people to the gentleness, kindness, love, justice, mercy of our Savior and the truth and the reality of your coming kingdom. The ways that we speak, the ways that we interact, and the ways in which we walk and and live our lives day to day. Would you be honored and would you use us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.